Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to This Week in Hospitality Marketing, the podcast show number 283 with your host, Lauren Gray. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Hospitality Marketing, the podcast. I'm your host, Lauren Gray, and this is episode number 283. So each week, we spend around 20 to 30 minutes sharing the most interesting tools, news, and techniques being used in marketing for the hospitality industry. We also do a quick recap of our weekly live video show, This Week in Hospitality Marketing, which also airs every Friday at 11.30 a.m. Eastern U.S. time. So with that, let's get started. And now, today's new resource tool. So our tools for review this week, and there are multiples, uh, are three that are more related to the specifics of operations than they are truly to marketing. Now, I know this is a slight virgins from our statement of, oh, we're gonna be talking about tools, news, techniques for marketing. They are certainly by all means useful for marketing and you more so marketing for services to the industry. And if you are providing a means of conferences or content to a larger audience. As to selling a particular hotel or selling for a particular hotel, no. This is going really to ownership groups, owners, and of course, organizations that are related to larger audiences. So this is either internal tools being used for your own internal operations, and or also if you're providing services and products to an industry and need audiences and engagement for this. So let me explain all of this as we relate to the tools and what they actually work with. And then we'll go into, of course, our technique of the week, which is in relationship to how these tools would be effectively used for what I brought them into the conversation for. The first I want to hit is something we have touched on before and in podcasts past, but it'll be a starting point for the other two tools. And that is events frame. Now, events frame is very unique in the sense that it creates a non-costing payment gateway in addition to its organization of creating events that you can then use and distribute for people to identify that they will attend. And if you are making it a payment where they are required to attend as an AKA conference, then this allows them the ability to learn about the conference, see the sessions, see the speakers, see the progress, the agendas. We're all familiar with this from an online and previous to non-online world where it wasn't just virtual webinars and Zooms and GoToMeetings and Microsoft Teams and so forth, but rather also, I'm going to go to this conference in XYZ City. I want to know what the agenda is. Is it worthwhile for me to go? Who are the sponsors? What are they offering? What's the the the, the uh, content that's going to be shared? What's the networking events that's going to be shared? Uh, what is maybe the vendor engagements that are going to be used? How is the methodology? All of that is basically a conference information source. Now, Large organizations that do this just perpetually and consistently have their websites built around these models of here's this is what we are, this is where it's going to be, this is what it's going to be, this number is going to cost you, this is what you're going to get. For organizations like ownership groups, 
and uh, those that run multiple uh, properties for hotels and what have you, uh, management groups as well, um, and you're doing, say, a corporate conference and or you're doing a showcase conference or whatever it is that you're asking for people to come into attendance, whether it's paid for or not, you need to have a platform that allows you to go over and present this. Events Frame is great for that. And Events Frame is literally eventsframe.com. Here you get to outline what you're offering, when they can again to get signed up so they get their ticket. And it offers great usability tools, giving you a QR code, giving you your receipt, giving you the information to validate that you're attending, uh, adding it to your calendar, all the things that you would want a conference engagement like that to run with. But let me make the note about that that is related to an actual event that's in an actual location. That's what Event Frames does. The two other tools I'd like to talk about are actually less related to going to and participating in the physicality of a conference, which we know during our current times does not really exist and is not safe to, please know that. Um, but the without it being properly spaced and following CDC guidelines, of course, please don't say I'm discouraging conferences, just the fact that they have to be regulated correctly as to distancing and engagements and all the other things that keep us all safe from, from each other as we go through the process of getting vaccinated and getting back to a world that we recognize a little bit better than the one we do now. The other tool that I want to... Uh, bring into play with this is uh, actually two tools. One is HeySummit.com. Uh, hey Summit is really interesting in the sense that it is a fully online creation of I'm not going somewhere, I am going to virtually attend. Now, the very good part about this is that everything we just talked about in conference organization exists in Hey Summit. With the caveat being, none of it has to do with the physicality of showing up. None of it has to do with what room is this or what room is that. But rather, I go online when the prescribed times are listed. And because I either acquired a ticket, also too, it has its own payment gateway combinations and things that you can connect with it. I will be attending certain webinars and sessions and complexities of dialoguing with groups while being presented too. So I will go watch this presentation. I will be in a large chat room. I will be engaged with people in that chat room and with the speaker, of course, and if there's Q&A involved, all of that is regulated, controlled with the platform of Hey Summit. Do you allow chat? Do you allow share screen? Do you allow participation or inclusion of other people to be added to the screen? Those are all functionalities that we're very familiar with in Zoom and, my, and like I said, Microsoft Teams and GoToMeeting and what have you. But this is in a conference environment. So that means there's what's quote unquote a green room um, similar to and actually one of the reasons why I use this platform and have bought it and put it in combination with is the live webinar platform that we use for our live weekly show integrates with this. So when we do a conference summit, this allows us to then use our live webinar to go on and then use all the functionalities of that platform, shared screens, presentations, decks, and what have you. All of that's part of the combination. But Hey Summit controls the summit aspect of it. Here's our list of speakers. Here's our agenda. Here's our links to the individual content associated with the agenda items. All of that conference-esque information online is controlled by Hey Summit. And the third tool I want to bring to, and I know we're hyping onto the tools and we'll get to the techniques of all these very quick, is airmeet.com. Now, I just recently acquired this and I'm planning on using it for a variety of reasons. One of it will be a showcase coming up very soon, a product showcase, which will be free to attend and free to participate in. Um, but it also has its ability of connecting payment gateways if you want to do a pay for and what have you. The very interesting part about Airmeet and why I did this in distinction to that of Hey Summit, even though I had Hey Summit beforehand, is its ability to have a kind of virtual 
trade show, as it were. Uh, visually, there are tables in the sense it's a flat screen, but there's areas where it shows different tables that you can go sit. Now, for anybody who's been to conferences that has networking functions where you go into the room and there's several round top tables and there's signs, placards on the tables that say, this table is going to be talking about revenue management. This table is going to be talking about uh, digital marketing. This table is going to talk about social media um, or vendor tables. Hey, this is the XYZ company. This is the ABC company over there. And you can sit and talk with the vendor. They usually do them during the lunch transitions, the dinner transitions, if that be the case. And you can selectively choose what you would like to participate in dialogue with it's also meant to segment out groups if you're creating team building and or crossovers like department revenue management is over here department marketing is over here department engineering is over here it's a way of creating subsets of participation air meets excellent about that because it allows you to do those things in the subsets. So say for instance, in typical conference-esque style, you have a designated keynote presentation at a designated time. You have between those keynote, those noted, those presentations, a opportunity to go to these sub tables and have dialogue in a much smaller group. The group is identified, you can collaborate, you can share contact information. It's a lot more of a dynamic interaction with all of this so that you can you know, ask questions more specifically to a smaller audience. This also allows keynotes that have come up from the presentation to go to their own table and people to go over and join them and ask and continue the dialogue that maybe the presentation was related to. It also allows you to create breakouts where, okay, we have this presentation and this training, now break out into your teams that you've been assigned to. And there you can go to the individual tables. It also allows you to move between the tables. I wanna join this conversation or I wanna join that conversation. So it's much more virtually similar to the physicality of going to a conference that has those functionalities to it. So those are the three tools that I would like to use in our technique on discussion very quickly. And that is eventsframe.com, heysummit.com, and airmeet. Dot com and those are our three tools of the week now for this week's hospitality technique so our technique this week is related of course to our three tools and that is what we have here is a failure to communicate <laughs> i am stealing the quote from that famous older movie that if you're old enough to remember uh and if you're not look it up uh but the juxtaposition of these tools and why i wanted to bring them to the conversation of the podcast today is as we begin to hopefully light at the end of the tunnel emerge from the complexities of what the pandemic has created in our industry and as an operations of business uh, for our ability to communicate collaborate and coordinate between all of this disparity of separation that we are facing uh, we know that there are certain residual things that will come out of the pandemic companies have learned to operate non-centrically physically we don't need a huge mothership building with multiple uh, floors of people that have to drone in, uh, work trans, you know, drive in, train in, fly in, whatever, to go to the work in the office. Uh, because of that, people are changing where they live because they don't have to make it hubbed around where they work. Uh, not everybody has that luxury, I understand, and there are people that will still need to come to the mothership. Uh, to coin a phrase, in uh, a regular basis because of the need to physically interact and collaborate with other people within the organization. All that said and done, there will be a need to reinstitute our ability to 
congregate. Now, I think from especially our discussions from the live show and what have you over time, we feel that there will be a huge resurgence of people wanting to just simply get back together with other human beings in the same space where we can hug and shake hands and wave hands and what have you at each other and spend time together literally in the same room and get off these flat screens of seeing little talking Brady Bunch tiles. Um, that will in its way wane through because companies have learned I don't need to pay a huge amount of lease space to have cubicles or office spaces and sub-meeting rooms uh, at the scale that I had it before. I can operate at different levels. doesn't mean it all goes away, and I hope it doesn't, but it does change the, the scale and structure of it to a degree. And because of that, we're going to have to look for other means of collaboration gatherings. Uh, we also realize that this technology works. That, yes, it has its quirks, its feature, and its fatigue, but at the end of the day, instead of having to fly out 10 people to a conference and pay for the attendance and the travel and the accommodations and everything else, it seriously rescales how we participate in our gatherings of conferences and events. We also know that being able to disseminate content and training is critically important, especially for organizations that are rebuilding, restructuring, retooling, re-staffing. Uh, re, re um, everybody's uh, going to have to knock off some rust and dust as to what they used to do versus what they need to do now. And there's going to be a need for training. Well, the fun, or I should say, the aspect of this is uh, companies, even if they were well-maintained financially, are not just going to throw money at training willy-nilly. They're going to be very selective as to how much they spend, how fast they spend it, how much they need to spend towards getting people up to speed and learning new skill sets or collaborative skill sets, cooperative skill sets. And it, that doesn't mean flying in the whole sales team from 10 different hotels, so to speak, to learn the new sales techniques. It might literally be, hey, this technology works online, but we need some means of collaboration that isn't the Brady Bunch tiles of us talking between each other because gosh knows we spend half our time going, I'm sorry, did I interrupt you? Hold on, wait, wait a minute. The jokes we make about it, you know, uh, of the technology works, but it has its, its ways. So conference type softwares, like AirMeet, like Events Frame, like Hey Summit, okay, uh, more so AirMeet and Hey Summit when I'm referring to it in this context, is a a wonderful bridge over of saying, look, let's let's have a mixture of this. There are some people that we think we should bring in physically to the same room. They one will be participating and presenting, perhaps, but more importantly, they may need some higher level or more intricate conversations that the technology just dilutes. But for the most part. Let's make the audience broader to others that allow them to be sitting at their desk at the office or in their workspace or whatever they have, or even at the properties, and be able to participate. Think of it in this context, and I had this discussion recently with one of my clients. There has always been, to most companies' process, a sort of corporate gathering, a, a, a company conference. Um, one, it's team building. One, it's, it's to meet and greet and see people by face and by name that you've dialogued with via email and phone. And now, of course, video on screens. But it's a chance to collaborate and coordinate. Now, usually because of the costs associated with that, that is limited to the people that it is worthy to make that cost validate, which usually involves your corporate teams, your senior regionals, or uh, at best, you know, your executive teams from the hotels. And in some cases for cost savings, 
is that is actually rotated between how many people from the hotels actually physically show up at these conferences. Um, one year might be just the sales team that shows up. The next year might be the revenue team. The next year might be the marketing team. But very rarely does you pluck the entire executive team out of a hotel and make them travel physically to a location for, you know, just for lack of a, a better word, but it's a little bit derogatory, rah-rah session uh, of getting everyone together to get that feeling of collaboration, family spirit, coordination, co company culture, and what have you. Uh, large companies, I've, I've participated and been asked to speak for and get paid to speak for large companies gathering where they pay people like me to come in, spend lots of money for me to be in front of them as an expert on something to help them be exposed and educated towards stuff. Well, let's expand that audience. Yes, still bring in those. And yes, still bring in maybe selectively those because the costs are still there. But more importantly, is let's expand that audience virtually so that the people that were not asked to physically attend those events have the exposure to the content that is important by those gatherings. And perhaps in different ways, offering platforms like these to collaborate between each other. So it's not just showing up to listen to somebody talking head on their screen and they make a little checkbox that says I attended, but rather be able to interact because everybody has a resource value. Everybody has something that nobody else knows. Everybody, housekeeping team, engineering team, grounds team, everybody has a something that they can contribute to the dialogue that is a perspective unique and valuable to everybody else that doesn't know what they know. Why not make that available? There should be no reason in the world with the technologies that we've been exposed to and the acceleration of, of the quality that they've created these tools being some examples of that, Airmead and Hay Summit, okay, that you can't have a summit that has people within the room, yes, but more importantly, has teams at the properties watching and participating in the same things. Have them be able to sit around smaller tables so that you're not looking at having several hundred people listen to one person that thinks that they're talking about something valuable, but most people go, yeah, we probably could have shared that in a smaller audience. But those seeds into smaller audiences can be a, a crucible of information going, wow, that's, that's, that's pretty insightful. We need to bring that to a larger audience. We don't often allow ourselves this opportunity in conferences and team buildings and groups. We only bring our biggest and brightest is a better way of saying it. But a lot of times that not necessarily makes them the most knowledgeable. The people that are doing it every day can point and say, you know, as a housekeeping person, I can tell you that, yes, you want me to fold the end cap on the bed this way, but because you shortened the sheet, no pun intended, maybe, um, you can't do that without it being this. And because of that, we don't do it because we've gotten too many customer complaints, but you've never changed the size of the sheet you mail us when you purchase the product, and you've never asked me as to why we have a problem with this. So... Sometimes some of the greatest ideas come from the most casual of conversations and they come from everybody that cares about what they do. And these platforms allow us this now new opportunity to include everybody in the conversations as we move forward on reevaluating how we approach, learn and adapt to what our, 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 our business is changing into and from. So there we have it. Our technique this week is what we have here is a failure to communicate and that's based on the new tools that we should begin to exercise and are using of our teams and our communications with those that we work with and do business with. Now, this week's hospitality news that you should know. So news and show review. 
awesome, awesome show. And I say that every time that Melissa from Fuel Travel, Melissa Kavanaugh from Fuel Travel joins us. Uh, they did the 11th in the series of the Consumer Sentiment Study, the Fuel Travel Consumer Sentiment Survey. Uh, and it was, to me, very revealing as to transitional thought processes um, for lots of reasons. First, let me tell you who was on the show with us. Dean Schmidt from uh, uh, Basecamp Meta Meta Search Marketing. We had Ben Hanley, which was great to see him back because he just went through and he and his family went through COVID. And he's over across the pond in England where they're in now severe lockdown. Um, we also had Adele Gutman from uh, Aspire Reputation Marketing, Tim Peter from Tim Peter Associates, and also Stuart Butler, also from Field Travel. Um, and this sentiment study for me was something I've been running around and beating on as if it was a Bible and I was a Baptist minister. Um, it's a chance to look at the transition light at the end of the tunnel. We are all very pragmatic as to knowing there's a reality as to our our hopes versus the reality of what we're going through. We're going through the worst days of COVID now, both from loss and from sicknesses and inadequacies and being able to compensate for those and what have you. Um, And not to go into the politics nor the logistics or sentiment for that, just the horror of the pain and the loss that it is creating for us and in the world and as a society and humanity as a whole. With that said... There is hopes of the vaccines being spread. And as we've talked about on this and on our live show many times, from an industry perspective, not just as a human, but as an industry perspective, the vaccine is our course to redemption, our course to gather back. The more that that vaccine gets distributed, the more our industry will come back to life. It is directly tied together, correlated. Um, And so it is necessary for us to be advocates of that. Uh, we have many discussions in the show today, actually, as to how do, much do you push that as to is it a mandate capable thing or is that just a desire to believe that people will take it because it benefits all of us. Uh, and that was a fun point to it to be made. But Melissa brought out some very interesting facts. We went through them in great detail, had great feedback from everyone. But key elements to that were uh, January, which is normally historically, regardless of regionality or uh, area that you may be finding yourselves into, is historically, given the weather temperament of Northern Hemisphere versus Southern Hemisphere, a time that most people make a lot of travel plans for the course of the upcoming year. Uh, With all the holidays just recently having been passed, being in the throes of getting it colder and darker and back to nothing to immediately look forward to holiday-wise, people begin to make plans for their spring breaks and school breaks, if they have family, what have you. And it's now even more so a hyper interest because people are now looking at all the aspirational ideas of travel that they had this past year during COVID and just say, you know, while the offers are still at this bottom of the pit, so to speak, and, and, the, and the cancellations are so flexible and all the other variations of what all of us have been trying to do to solicit people's desire to book for the time that they do feel safe enough to travel. This is it. This is this is showtime. Uh, and because of that, this is the time to make sure that you get put in front of people for to be considered for them to make plans where they're not just thinking, boy, won't it be great when we get to? It's more like, hey, you know what? Let's go look and see what the rates and stuff are. And let's book at a time in the year that we think we're going to be able to start taking advantage of that. That we by then we might have our vaccine ourselves or that there's enough people that have the vaccine or we get past the hump. But whatever that is. And from the survey that we talked about, that tends to be late spring, early summer. Now, I feel and we did the discussion as well, that might be a little slightly optimistic because uh, it's it's not just there's two factors at play perception of safety of travel and the other is the legalities of travel when governments feel that they 
that there is enough of the vaccine in the population that they can begin to ease the restrictions that they have created. So there's not just the sentiment aspect of when I feel safe to travel, but there's also the legalities of am I allowed to travel uh, and those two key elements. And so I, I tend to think it's more of a later summer, earlier fall, but it's personal opinion. Just It's like putting a finger in the wind, you know, which way the wind's blowing. Um, the survey, however, does tend to show that people are op op optimistically looking at uh, doing this uh, towards the end of summer. Um, into the August time as being peak of that's when I think I'm going to, or June, I should say, June. Um, that's why I think I'm going to get out of here. That's when I think I'm going to do it. Um, we, we know that, you know, um, strangely enough, when we were looking at the survey she was talking about, a lot of people said they weren't traveling during the holidays, but then we, of course, looked at the news, which was pointing out to the fact that the, the holiday travel is uh, really large. And we know that that's probably of two conditions. One is those people who don't think this is real or don't give a rat's bit about it. And then the other people that just uh, because they feel like that they, that they if they don't do it, they're going to lose connection. You know, they, they, they have older family or they themselves are older. And it's like, look, I got I'm being stolen. My time is being stolen from me. I need to go see my family. And a lot of them said, hey, look, you know, if for us to do this, I have this protocol of not doing this. Can you have the same protocol so we can both feel safer that we're not giving this back or forth to each other, especially with things of, you know, the asymptomatic people being the higher contributor to people getting COVID. And of course, the variants that are coming into the news as we speak, uh, all these things play into the decision processes of this. Um, but I'm talking about where people feel, me, general population person, feels that it has reached a point of safety that I feel comfortable enough to travel. And that is a very arbitrary personal thing for everybody. But knowing that from the survey, most people feel that's going to happen somewhere towards June forward. So good good in that perspective of it. The link, of course, is in our show notes here for the podcast, um, which uh, you simply go to hospitaldigitalmarketing.com forward slash podcast. Look for show number 283. All of last year's shows, we put them into the archive. We try to keep it current that what you see is only this year's show. So there's only two to look at when you go there. Because uh, all the rest of them are in the archive link. If you want to go back and replay any of our previous podcasts, you can do so, as well as the live shows for that as well. We also had a quick uh, conversation towards the end, uh, about an hour and 44 into it, uh, of Wyndham selling tour and travel. Um, the um, the idea, well, not selling tour and travel, my apologies, reverse of that. Uh, what they did was um, uh, Wyndham went over and uh, uh, bought the tour, uh, travel and leisure not for the brand, but for, uh, not for the product, but for the brand, the the auspices of what it was and what it was for and really who it was connected to. Um, it was a very fascinating discussion we had about as to the purposes of all that. It's like, okay, why would Wyndham go worry about Travel and Leisure Magazine and so forth and so on? It's not about that. It's about what they represent and who they're connected to, which lended itself to a larger discussion with GA4 coming into play and our diminished connection to the source data compared to the interpreted data. Uh, and how to the fact that we're going to end up relying more and more on what the platforms tell us the information is saying rather than looking at the data that they have for us to determine what it says, uh, like GA4. Um, and if you want to know more about Google Analytics uh, 4 than previous podcasts, previous live shows, of course, Google it. <laughs> and uh, you can look at it for yourself. But the idea of that First-person connectivity, first-person communication, first-person dialogue is, is, if never now, more important uh, to do because, uh, as we talked about many times on the show before and the podcast many times before, ask. 
Do a survey. What is it you're looking for? It is the most fundamental question people are frustrated with before and after with any web design. I didn't find what I was looking for. You didn't have what I was looking for. We try to guess by our navigation what people are looking for on websites when really they can tell us. Uh, there's some wonderful platforms we have featured on this podcast, actually, Foundy and what have you, um, that help with the FAQ building process, content development process, inquiry process, competitive set discoveries. What are people looking for, suggesting, guiding? What are they peeking for? And adding that content to help them find discoverable content that we find valuable that we can share with them. So all of that, getting that dialogue on a one-on-one basis is truly the inspiration of why Wyndham did what it did. Um, the uh, And the show lasts a little, a little over two hours, which we normally run around two hours, but it was this time around two hours and, and 17 minutes or so. Uh, we ran the show. It was, like I said, an amazing conversation and well worth it. The timestamps that we have for our dialogue, of course, from the show notes as well. Um, the news item I want to catch that we didn't get to talk about on the live show uh, is kind of a weird reversal as to why you would think I would bring it up. But the, the headliner was when big brands stopped spending on digital ads, nothing happened. Why? <laughs> and you might think that that is contra to the purpose of why it would be bringing that up like wouldn't that be shooting us in the foot for saying well digital marketing doesn't work um that's not true a lot of mitigating factors to this um one is uh the biggest one is is that a lot of reasons that were shut off on marketing were because simply there was no demand uh this past year so turning off what well, you couldn't sell anyway you could not sell you know the old adage goes you couldn't sell silver dollars for 50 cents on the corner was true no matter what you were offering, nobody was wanting to buy it. That being said, there is also an underlying point that was kind of like, huh, the emperor doesn't totally have no clothes here because a lot of the ads that were things were shut down didn't affect a diminishment of business either for a lot of people or a lot of large businesses. And that's because there's so much traffic We've gotten into this terrible mindset that bigger numbers mean better business. And I have been uh, with my clients and and our discussions on the live show and so forth. I look at commonality of KPIs, KPIs, key performance indicators, and also mean common goals. And I've said this many times. I've I've spoken uh, both to corporate organizations and when I was doing HSMI rocket programs um, was the uh, belief that I can tell you numbers that will make it sound like everything's great. When in fact they're not doing what they need you it, you for it to do, because they're not hitting your goals. Case point: uh, the term ROAS, return on ad spend. I can spend money and get a twenty to one, thirty to one ROAS return on ad spend. Meaning for every dollar I spend, I got thirty to one or twenty to one. That's brilliant. I'm rocking it. I'm killing it. How much do you want to spend? But the fact remains: if I'm selling the cheapest, easiest thing, I might have only generated five or ten thousand dollars worth of business. Well, as a revenue manager who I may be working with, you're telling me we're behind 100000 that month. And I just, you know, beating my chest, I just gave you $5,000. you are like, uh, where's my other ninety-five? The point is, we need to have the same goal. Why would I pursue a little rabbit hole for $5,000? Unless I could also pursue a lot of other rabbit holes for $5,000 that help with that $100,000 that you're telling me we need to eat. Common goal, common KPIs, common effort. Um, and so for that reason, digital marketing, when it comes to 
what we're looking at for numbers, which I and many of my team, my friends go refer to as vanity numbers. Look at all these people, impressions, implied metrics, implied this, implied metrics means literally at the end of the day, how much did I bank and bring to the bank to deposit to pay my payroll? And if it isn't growth, it isn't working. I don't need to see the picture of my hotel's porte to know that I own a hotel, so to speak. And the only person that wants to see that picture is the person that owns the dang thing. Same too with our marketing strategies. Without it being incremental or maintaining the business that we have, then it's justified to show that when you stop it, it goes down. When you turn it back on, it goes back up. If you can't do that, what you're doing isn't working. That's fundamental. So all these metrics of numbers and traffics and so forth, and there's so many mistrackings like, oh, well, we grew Android users by a thousand percent. Did you? No. What you did do was have targeted things based on platform size, and you basically isolated out the ability to show Android usage. Not because it was more there. It was already there. You just identified it for what you did as a track. The misshaped, mishandled, smoke and mirrors, mirror, you know, stuff that agencies do infuriate me as to this, this, I think Ben and, and Tris is their organization, digital marketing without the BS. Um, that's the thing that's BS is, oh, look at these numbers. Look at all the things we've done for the, you know, this many X more traffic, this many more X growth and these things with no backstory as to what was the baseline? What was the incremental value that means something to me telling me that that grew by 20 percent compared to and how well did it go to what i needed it to do that's a key element to this and if done properly if when you shut it off it goes down and when you turn it on it goes up and if you add to it it goes up as well so for incrementality that's the measure on a measurement that counts not on a number that goes up and down based on whether the sun rises or falls so that's why I brought up the article. The article does go into some very good detail as to the contrast of what I'm talking about. I don't agree with everything with it, but then again, I didn't write the article. But I do agree with the premise of it is that brands didn't do themselves any favors. And they didn't certainly do anything as a favor for some of their brand constituents for what they were doing. They were basically putting out numbers that didn't really impact what the hotels were benefiting from. Keep that in mind. So. Remember, you can find us on Google Play, Apple, iTunes, iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, Pandora, TunedIn Podcasts. The list goes on. Actually, 39 platforms and counting. We're even on Amazon's Alexa, Google Assistant, and Siri. Just ask to play the Hospitality Marketing Podcast. And no matter which one you may use, if you like the show, please rate us and leave us a comment. That will help others find our content as well. Plus, give us feedback as to what you liked, didn't like, and would like to hear about. So... Um, also, if this is your first time hearing us, you can subscribe to our show on any of those 39 platforms as well. For an archive of all previous podcasts, you can go to hospitalitydigitalmarketing.com forward slash podcast. And don't forget our live video talk show that you can join and participate in every Friday at 1130 a.m. Eastern U.S. time called This Week in Hospitality Marketing, the live show. And for that, you can simply go to hospitalitydigitalmarketing.com forward slash live. There you can look for the latest episode I just mentioned in today's show, number 283. I will be there as well. Plus, we do do subscript, uh, subtext or closed caption, I should say, now in 11 languages, both for this podcast and for the live show. And with that, I thank you for the privilege of your time, and I look forward to talking to you next week.
You have been listening to This Week in Hospitality Marketing, the podcast show 283 brought to you by Hospitality Digital Marketing and in support of the HSMAI, Hospitality Sales and Marketing Association International, All Right Reserve, Copyright 2021. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.